So welcome, lovely to talk to you. Um, I remember the way that we that you first came uh, to my attention was because um, I shared a cartoon that you created, but I thought I fell for it. it I believe it was the one with the two planes heading into the Twin Towers and one was, uh, was it democracy? And the other one was free speech. Free speech or something. Yeah. And yeah. I thought it was, you know, because it looked uh, like a cartoon that the New Yorker would publish, something like that. And with the narratives being what they are in yeah. the world, I really genuinely fell for it. And I was kind of outraged uh, and offended. And <laughs> the way that I can be. Um, and I thought, well, this is what they believe now that, you know, free speech is, is equivalent to destroying democracy. And uh, that didn't seem so far-fetched that someone at, you know, the New Yorker or another sort of mainstream media outlet would actually uh, publish that. And then people sort of corrected me and said, no, you know what, this is this like really talented cartoonist and uh, it's his work and it's, it's kind of satire, yeah. but it might as well not been. I apologize you know. again. Uh, <laughs> it was, it, you never want to explain a joke. I guess it's one of those rules they don't tell you, but uh, there were people falling for it. And I really felt bad because these are people I would want to be friends with but I can't explain that it was a goof. It was, there's a couple of cartoonists who I guess I won't name who I have friendly, unfriendly rivalries with, who I'll look at their stuff. It's like what you're describing. There's uh, I, I shouldn't say where they are or where, what they work for, but it is something they would have drawn, I guess. And it was based on the rhetoric at the time of the Canadian trucker envoy or convoy. And uh, the joke was, as many of the jokes, the better jokes that I have, I was just showering and thinking about the news. And then I thought, what's the stupidest thing they could possibly draw right now? And 9-11, this is terrible to say, is always a funny punchline to me. The more inappropriate it is, the better. So flying truck like 9-11 and the two towers say free speech and democracy. I said, that, that is the stupidest thing I could draw today. And I laughed and then I got dressed and I drew it. Um, so sorry again for the goof. Uh, it, it does happen often enough. Well, I guess that was the first time it really got noticed. I also did another one with those trucks wearing KKK hoods. You saw that one? Yeah. And then people still shared that as if that was a good point to make. Like people who don't wanna wear face masks, I guess. It's hard to tell, there was a lot of noise. So anyway, I, I guess I goofed a lot of Canadians into sharing that non-ironically, and uh, that gave me a chuckle. And in a way, I mean, that made an excellent point. I think it, it, I think it was good that I was fleeced in a way. You know, it, 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 no, no, because it, <laughs> don't be sorry, because I think it made a stronger point in that way, because that even though that wasn't real, thankfully it wasn't real, um, it might as well be, you know, the fact that we can't differentiate satire from the truth, <laughs> you know, that is, uh, that says something. That That's happening more and more often. It is happening more and more often. I sometimes will scroll through Twitter and uh, I'll read somebody and I genuinely, truly, genuinely cannot tell if that person is kidding or not and and there are some accounts that are you know satire accounts you know tr you know 30 backed or you know whatever it is that they're uh the point that they're trying to make and they you know with billions of pronouns and and uh and their satire accounts but some of them are not and some of the comments that people make it's just I truly don't know whether to take certain people seriously. And this is where the role, the line between a, a satirist and, uh, and a real human sort of becomes <laughs> very thin in some way. Yeah. 
I mean, some people call it clown world, I suppose, where <clears throat> I guess a more apt uh, comparison would be like Monty Python, where there's a sketch from what the 70s where one character is saying, I want to be a woman. And back then that was so, you know, silly. And to them, the punchline was, you know, essentially, oh, you're being a silly goose. Or there was another one from The Meaning of Life, I guess, on one of their movies of like, oh, is it a boy or a girl? The woman just gave birth. And the doctor says a bit early to be assigning gender roles to them or something. Yeah. And we're talking 40 years ago. Well, I wonder, I mean, uh, the Monty Pythons, which, which you know, everybody sort of universally, it was very much loved uh, by everyone around me, which, you know, was predominantly sort of liberal. Um, and I do wonder, like, even I shared, um, I shared one of those video clips, like the one about the, the person who says he wants to be a woman. And it probably sounds really offensive to a lot of people now. And, you know, like, can you be canceled for just sharing that clip, even though it was considered really funny, really sort of nonsensical back then. And it's like, it's just, it's just sort of astounding where, where culture has gone. Um, and sort of the, the, you know, even talking about some of these things, like I, I find myself being really cautious in the words that I use and I, and I hate that in a way because I know myself and I know that, you know, I have no hate for anybody. I, I'm, I'm a very sort of accepting person generally. And yet there is this kind of thing that there's so many taboos of things to talk about in society and yet you have this kind of job where that's what you're that's what you do you talk about you poke holes and and things that um that people are afraid to you know and the more you do that the more effective you are and if you know do you ever have sort of a fear of doing that um, well, the worst case scenarios would be like yesterday where I guess I stepped on a few too many toes and now my Patreon account is under review and it's probably going to get terminated. Um, I'm sure I've been on some list. Uh, there was another cartoonist named Tetsuya Ishida, Yoshida, I can't remember his name, I feel so bad, Ishida, who just got his Patreon taken down as well. And he's sort of a conservative or centrist cartoonist as well. Um, so that would be the worst case scenario, I suppose, of they take away your income or I'm sure somebody can, you know, there's any number of things they can do to uh, make you uncomfortable, let's say. Um, but there's, there's different schools of thought along the lines of like, the only reason a person would get canceled is if they're being too effective at what they do, perhaps, if I wanted to flatter myself. Um, I think the, the strength of the reaction, I mean, we could even look at like the 90s. I grew up in the 90s. So there was a lot of church moms who were mad at things like Mortal Kombat. And there was the conversation of is violent video games causing violence in real life, that sort of thing. And so because it was too popular, the, what's the word I wanted? The hall monitors perhaps uh, wanted to jump in and nerf it a little bit. Um, so I guess you could say the worst case scenario can happen where you get reputation damage. So years ago on Reddit, uh, they just lit me up and ran me off the site. The whole website thought I was a alt-right Nazi and all that stuff. And a lot of people still do actually, probably more than before. Um, yeah. uh, and look, I mean, they can say whatever they want. I can't reach into my monitor and stop them, but I could build decent relationships and show my face and my name. I don't use a pseudonym. And it's like, look, you can look into me if you want to be <clears throat> as forth. What's the word I'm looking for? Like, I'm not hiding my, I'm not the things they're calling me. I'm just a guy who draws. And I try to tell jokes once in a while. Uh, I grew up reading or uh, watching South Park and Monty Python, like we said. I, I like a I like a salty joke once in a while. So that's my sense of humor. And sometimes I guess I hit below the belt. 
but I also have been hit below the belt in, as far as humor goes. Like I'm a pretty non-tall guy, let's say. So people would, you know, joke about my height. Let's say I grew up with this and I, you know, I've got a big- Hard to for me to know that, you know, because I only see- <laughs> Yeah, well, I am, it's a, there's a million things somebody could look at me or you can make fun of me all day. I'm, I'm not going to say I love it, but whatever, I'm used to it. Right. Um, so that's the nature fun. of humor. I, I'm sure I'm preaching to the converted, you know, everybody knows what a joke is, but everyone loves a joke, they say, except when it's their group being joked about. And what I'm interested in professionally, like, I don't want to tell jokes about Trump, because four years ago, everyone was telling jokes about Trump. So then I did a Joe Biden comic where he was sucking the black out of a woman, because he said, if you don't vote for me, you ain't black. And to my knowledge, no one had ever done jokes like that. Uh, in the direction of the left, let's say. So I wanted to poke fun at a demographic that was not used to getting poked fun at. Because on TV, on the internet, all the jokes seem to be skewing towards the right. And I said, okay, well, there's enough of those. So now I'm going to serve this other audience who, I, I think the left deserves a little bit of poking. Sometimes I poke too hard, but that's the nature of what I do, I guess. They'll let me know when I've hit below the belt. Well, people say, you know, we're certain writers, including myself, like, you know, um, why am I um, criticizing these particular things that might be more, uh, let's say, issues to do with the left? Um, and the reason isn't because there aren't things to criticize on the right. There certainly are. Um, but it's more so because there aren't people doing it as much. And certainly there aren't people because, you know, I, I sort of, uh, you know, I, I don't like to really even identify politically. And I was kind of avoiding that. But I think it's important to sometimes represent that, you know, like, not everyone who's a liberal is, is completely lost their mind. So I'll say that I am kind of more on the liberal leaning side of things. Um, mm -hmm. um, I, I think there isn't enough people who are from that side of things who are calling out the mistakes, right? Because it's very easy when you are, you know, say you're a conservative or Republican or whatever, there are people to call out the left and people on the left like to call out conservative conservatives and republicans but you know i always kind of say you have to you know fix your own country you know before you move to another one um yeah. and i think or you know either that means either abandoning yours or or you know so the the focus of politics in general seems to be like that guy is bad vote for me and instead of being like, okay, let's let's see what's wrong. What are people not liking and how can we fix that? Because to me, that's much more essential. I don't, you know, if I was a politician, which I'm not, but if I was, uh, and I probably would lose, but I would be much more inclined to go, okay, what can I offer? What can I make better? What can I fix as opposed to like attacking the other guy? And, mm -hmm. and that's unfortunately not what happens. And I would have thought even in the last elections where, you know, people hated Trump so much, um, but instead of kind of going, okay, why did, why did so many people vote for Trump? Why did so many Bernie supporters vote for Trump? You know, why, why were people so unhappy? What can we do about it that we can like fix our own? issues instead they just kind of double down well it's because these other people are bad and just kind of vilified it and i don't think that's a very healthy way to kind of go about it um no. so i think there's like that personal responsibility that someone who's a writer or or a comic or whatever um has um and particularly when you're seeing a side regardless of where you identify even like when you're seeing a site that's just not being talked about. Mm -hmm. There's a lot to unpack there. I mean, on, on one hand, uh, if we truly wanted, uh, a lot of people are talking about a national divorce or something like that, as if yeah. that will solve the problem. And 
anyone who's been in a relationship, like a real relationship, not some superficial thing, will know it's way harder to reconcile problems mm -hmm. than it is to just split up. And obviously a country is way harder to split up than even an interpersonal relationship. Um, so there's different, um, on one hand, it seemed like the people who would point at a Trump voter and say like, oh, you're a bad person, you believe in X, Y, and Z, and maybe even paint pictures that aren't necessarily true. There's a difference there between uh, forcing that person to submit, which will cause them to be resentful, which will then cause more fighting versus being persuasive and saying, look, uh, we're disagreeing about something I take very seriously. Can we just sit down and figure this out? Um, when I was younger, I mean, I've always been, uh, I wanted to be a little bit of everybody's friend kind of person. So I think back in like high school, college, even though I was a churchy, I guess center right, something like that. Mm -hmm. uh, type of person. I always had art friends. So they, you know, they tended to lean left. They were interested in theater and poetry and even feminist stuff. So we're talking about early 2000s. And, you know, I would crack jokes with them and I would poke about feminism and say like, oh, haha, you know, I don't know, I would crack jokes, whatever. But we were friends and I was friendly with them and they liked me, at least I thought they did. And I liked them and and we just got along, I think, and we had our differences, but I took the time because I genuinely loved my friends. I really wanted to understand. I would go to their poetry slams and I would read their stuff and I would try to understand where they're coming from and have sympathy. And even if I disagreed with them, I would still hang out with them, have lunch with them, talk smack with them. I'm not gonna curse. Um, so I wanted to meet in the middle and I have some notes here that I wrote, I'm sorry. Um, I worry that sometimes when people vote, they vote against the other side as opposed to for their side. So I've always been criti critical of Biden, for example, and we don't have to get too into that. But I think, you know, he's kind of a he's kind of, kind of a dumb, dumb, whatever. And I don't think he was the best choice. If I were to pick someone against Trump, I would have wanted someone who at least projected a little more confidence something like that. I would have a little more confidence in somebody. And I'm, you know, I voted for Trump in 2020, not in 2016, but I'm open to the discussion of maybe he's not the guy for 2024. Maybe, maybe the time passed. Uh, I'm as much as I want to see things go back to normal. I, I just want, but what is normal? There's, that's a whole other conversation. Yeah. Um, but I, I like the idea of everyone stopping the arguing because I see the temperature going up and I've seen a million relationships break because we can't come to a, let's put our weapons down and meet at the kitchen table. Uh, I've seen too many relationships shatter because people are unwilling to compromise, I don't know, to talk, to lower the temperature. Um, but then there's this polarization on both sides. And I think it's admirable that you are able and willing to step up to your own side, because I think that's probably one of the biggest problems we face right now is not being able or being unwilling to criticize your own side, because then if you lose those friends, you're kind of in the middle with nobody yeah. or, or the, uh, you're out, you're kicked out of the city and you're living in the wilderness with those crazy it can be very anybody true. in the middle. It's very true. And I have lost, um, I have been kicked out, you know, um, uh, in some ways, like I um, kind of happens, you know, you, you notice that you're losing certain people. Um, you know, some people call it upgrading <laughs> because you, you kind of realize who, who the people you want around you to be. Um, mm -hmm. But I think, you know, I, if you're having to tiptoe all the time around people, then you're sort of being dishonest in your everyday life too. Um, and I don't think that does any good. So you, I think there's no choice but to do that in a way. Um, yeah, yeah. And it took, it took me some time to get to the point of being able to do that because it was kind of scary. And it, it, and I think it initially started with, um, more in-person conversations. And I think generally in-person conversations, I haven't had as much pushback because it's different. I think um, 
when somebody sees you, they see where you're coming from, they know you. Um, it's it's a lot less hostile. Like I, I don't tend to get as much sort of negative pushback from people in person. I can usually sway them with my sort of arguments and they see that I'm coming from a good place. When it happens online, even the people who sort of know me in person, I think they sort of forget who I am yeah. and, and they start to sort of like think, oh, maybe she changed or she's becoming this person, you know, whatever, right winger, or whatever they wanted. And, um, and that becomes, and it can be a very painful process and you do feel like very alone. Uh, and then you find some other people so, so somewhere out there in the wilderness, but it's kind of essential. And this talk of like, I've heard a lot of talk of divorce, like this national divorce. I, I, cause I listened to a lot of conversations uh, from the sort of the conservative side. And that seems to be something I'm hearing a lot more there. Um, although it's not being talked about on the left, it's, being practiced on the left so it's kind of the same thing um it is really scary because it's to me it's almost like civil war proportion like maybe people don't want to fight but you're living sharing a country uh yeah you know I, there's uh, it's hard because in order to take down a country as powerful as the united states historically has been really the only way to do it is with infighting because if you attack us from the outside we coalesce and attack, fight back whoever's hitting us. But if you slowly poison somebody from the inside, it's just really, it's like depression. They just don't want to fight anymore. And then whatever makes the bad feelings go away. Um, I'm using too many metaphors, I guess. But it, it would be something like, oh, I don't know. It, they're so uncomfortable sharing a country, and I can I can say this from the right side of things, even though I'm fairly moderate. Mm -hmm. They don't want say uh, the the extreme things that the left is trying to push for, like you know, like child drag shows and all that stuff. Although I I think that's a keep your eye on the birdie kind of thing. Um, the things they object to are to force the right to commit seppuku almost. As in, we're not going to fight anymore. Just go ahead and break off. Take these states. We'll take these states. Yeah. And if I was feeling conspiratorial, I would say, well, that's by design. It's instead of having an actual fight in which the right would win without question, as far as I'm concerned, which I don't want to happen, of course, yeah. just for the record. Um, it, you make the be so obnoxious that the person, it's like having a roommate, but you don't want to leave. You want to make them leave. Something right. like that. So the left, I think, could be acting obnoxious on purpose because they know the weak points of the right. And the right is so, I think they're culturally blind for many, many reasons. I've been warning them about this for a long time, but who am I? No one's going to listen to me. Um, I think they are surprised by a lot of things that have been brewing that like in high school, I knew I knew about the left and all the wokeness. It's called wokeness now, but these were just the people I hung out with in high school. I knew they existed. And I said, oh man, would you could you imagine if they ever took over and they did? Um, but I grew up in their world. So I'm not surprised by any of this and I'm not disgusted by the stuff that the, uh, the right acts disgusted by all the time. So let's say there's a split, which I don't think will happen. I'm still living in a pretty deep blue area and I don't think I'll be leaving anytime soon. So, I mean, this is, I understand how they think. And I think what they're trying to do is force the right to concede ground, back up, back up, like move the fence. And then the right is going to be pressured into a position of, okay, are we going to just cut things off where they stand or are we going to stand and fight? And then Unfortunately, that could lead to an overreaction where the right will make mistakes, trying to swing their weight too hard. Uh, but I'm, I'm speaking to too many vague things that I don't even want to say out loud because it's horrible. Yeah, um, I, the right can and will make mistakes. Basically, I they'll can be. I understand what you're saying, and I am. I worry about that because I can see 
because what happens in general is like um more extremes happen it's it's kind of the same thing when when you're dealing with freedom of speech why i believe more in freedom of speech it's not because i'm like oh let's say these great horrible things um but you know you you look at uh and there have been studies where if you keep people from saying things out in the open then they get more conspiratorial you don't have this sort of like uh force against them to sort of moderate them and so they become at least a fraction of them become much more aggressive much more radical and so that uh, both on the left and the right they become much more radicalized and dangerous um and i think that's uh, a a worse outcome you know and i and i often look at things in in and outcomes um and you know what what purpose do things serve as opposed to just you know ideals um but i'm curious because you you are an artist and you um you know it is often something that like you look at cultural industries like uh art art um film theater it does tend to sway a little bit well a lot more left um, why do you think that is? Well, there's multiple, depends who you ask. Um, you could ask some leftish people and they might say, if they're not feeling uh, generous, there just aren't a lot of conservative right-leaning artists because they're not creative because <laughs> of their worldview. To which, you know, I just, I'm like, well, don't I exist, you know? Well, but then again, I also why do have- you exist? Why, why do you exist? That's a deep question. Uh, I mean, maybe because uh, on the way I was raised, maybe, I don't know, I've just been around a lot of left-leaning people or left and right, and I understand. But the real answer to the question is um, something along the lines of, if you look at the heads of these companies, they all, uh, well, there's a lot of good video essays about this, but uh, there's one, Hollywood was always red. It's rather biased, but mm -hmm. the idea of a lot of um, in this post-World War II decades, a lot of Hollywood studios were taken over or influenced by rather communist leaning people and they formed um, unions and stuff and they wanted fair pay for everybody, which all you know sounds good on paper. And there was all these congressional hearings about infiltration from the Russian infiltration, communist infiltration, all that stuff. So I would just imagine over the decades, it it consolidated. Let's hire our friends, which is what everyone does. I understand that ideologically. Uh, let's give them work. It could be as simple as that, or it can just be like, let's hire along, let's say, we haven't hired enough women uh, on this production. Let's hire more women. And it's like, okay, but here's this like really amazing veteran guy that you could hire. But it's like, no, but we need more women. So let's. So the idea is like we have these checklists of people of we want to be inclusive, which sounds nice. Mm -hmm. um, but then you end up basically hiring your friends. So yeah, that's but, one answer. But there is something that seems to draw people into. Um, there is some kind of an ideological, I guess, leaning or something like that kind of free spirit. Um, like, uh, I don't know how to exactly describe it, but our, our artists tend to be sort of like artsy, open. like open, openness. Yeah, that might be the best way to sort of describe it, which uh, I mean, I guess with conservatives, because conservative, you know, it's kind of slower to change um whereas uh openness is generally something like quicker to change and either of them can be is necessarily like better or worse but like it it's a different way of looking at the world and artists do tend to be more open and therefore maybe are more in that bucket of to be yeah to be an artist and i'm sure um you know all about this having looked into your biography a little bit i cheated um <laughs> you would know like I, I and i would agree that a lot of creative people to be creative you have to have a lot of sensitivity and you have to have your antenna up which means you may pick up signals that were not intentionally it's as simple as opening your front door there's some people who lock their doors and there's some people who leave them unlocked 
And there's some people who are just not afraid of outsiders coming in all the time, like say the open border discussion. Now we have the border wide open, which has its own problems, but leaving it really tight and closing it also suffocates you. So it would be the same thing as if I locked all the windows in my house and said, I don't want anything from outside coming in at all. That's hyper conservative. Whereas hyper liberal is I'm going to open all the windows and doors and just whatever comes in can come in. So yeah. there's pros and cons to both sides. And I would, I'm a balanced type of person. I say, sometimes you open the window, sometimes you close the window. Um, so as an artsy type of person, I have read books and watched movies that I just find completely over the line. Like this is horrible. I can't believe anyone made this. I can't believe I watched it. Mm. I feel gross or and on the other hand, I've watched movies and read books where it's like, huh, I never thought about the world in that way. And I learned something. And maybe it was written by a liberal, super environmentalist type of person where I might have been close to that before, but it was well made. It was beautiful. It's like, um, you know what? It's not unlike uh, germs and being afraid of germs. Maybe it's like being a hypochondriac. I'm Traditionally, a <laughs> right? I'm a germaphobe, so. <laughs> okay, but yeah. it's. I think it's an interesting reversal culturally because I would have argued that liberals are, are more open to germs, but in the past couple of years, we've seen a cultural reversal where now liberals are saying, get your vax, wear your mask, mm. and conservatives are saying, no, take the mask off and let's cough on each other. And what's funny is being exposed to germs makes you more resistant yeah. to serious illness, which would have been the soft liberal argument that I agreed with, that I do agree with. It's good to let kids run around in the mud and like get germs all over each other so that they can build up their immune systems. But culturally now there's on the left, on, on a, we want to insulate and protect ourselves from idea pathogens that we think are dangerous because it might infect our mind. And then who knows what can happen? There's a, a list of all these worst case scenarios I'm sure they can imagine. Well, to me, it's running counter to liberal sort of ideals completely because one of the reasons that I sort of uh, identify with libertarianism let's say is because i believe in allowing sort of exposure to these idea pathogens whatever they might be and sort of allowing adults to decide for themselves uh what it is that they you know take away from it but now yeah there's the sense of like everyone needs to be protected so i, I guess i never really got a chance to ask you um how did you even, you know, what, you know, how did you even start out as a, as an artist, as a cartoonist and, and what is sort of, did you ever, did you know that you were going to do specifically like cartoons, political cartoons, satire? Like, what was that no. journey like for you? I would say it was an accident and then I realized what was going on. So I kept it going. Um, a lot of career stuff. All right, so career-wise, in high school, I wanted to be a cartoonist in the sense of graphic novels, comics, manga. I don't know if, you know, Japanese comics, if someone doesn't know. Exactly. Uh, that was really popular. I'm sorry? I said I definitely know because I'm 1% oh. Japanese, yeah, so. Okay. With my blood. Wow, I'm jealous. <laughs> um, uh, what was I going to joke about? Oh, no, it doesn't matter. I guess in high school, manga was really popular and stuff. And I studied it in high school a little bit. And uh, so I just, I loved those comics so much. I wanted to make them. The trouble was in America, there wasn't really a market for it. There weren't a lot of publishers making that stuff. So I went to uh, a school in New York to learn cartooning and they taught sort of in the Western style of comics. And I ended up dropping out for various reasons, including I couldn't afford it. And um, I entered this contest that had uh, put out um, an advertisement for, it's like a talent search kind of thing. Uh, they were looking for original English language manga. And I 
long story short, I, I wanted to be a manga artist. They accepted me. I won a prize. I got to make a book with them. Then they went out of business and then I ended up delivering pizza and stuff. And so I really put a lot of, I wanted to make comics for the longest times. And, um, and then I just couldn't because the market didn't allow it. There was no market for it. And so for multiple years, I just worked at a print shop. I had little odd jobs. And then another opportunity came where I could work on video games. And I also submitted this comic to a Japanese um, manga contest. And it won a nice prize. I got to go over there. I won an award. And oh, wow. To Japan. I won it. And it wasn't political or anything. It was just like a sweet little short story. Um, and I told myself, look, if I'm winning prizes after all these years, there must be something here. So I quit my job at the print shop and I said, I'm going to really pursue this. So I made video games for a little while. And I was on Reddit for a long time trying to draw strips that just basic strips like, uh, you know, gags, haha. And then I did a series that hit the front page multiple times on Reddit, which I guess was a big deal at the time. And then people investigated me on, you know, oh, he has a Twitter account where he follows guys like Ben Shapiro and stuff. He must be a conservative. Therefore, he's a Nazi. Oh. And so, and so Reddit lit me up and, um, just a lot of things happened, but anyway, so I got spat out from Reddit, lost all my work. I used to get freelance work on there. And then I was just a basic cartoonist on Twitter. And I started drawing more and more strips that I thought were just gags, cultural, current events, not necessarily political, but I would put my politics into it as a, just as a, this is my angle. And it got more and more popular. And I got people telling me, hey, this is, you should do more of these. And so I did more of those. And I stopped making graphic novels. And I became known for doing four panel gag strips. Um, and I still drew my comics, my stories on the side. But uh, I guess one became more popular than the other. And it's, it's like the 80-20 rule, you know? 80% mm -hmm. um, of my audience wanted 20% of my output. And then I focused on that. So I guess I fell into it and that became my job. But um, well, from a job point of view, because like, you're not, you know, it's, it's a bit different. You're not getting published, I imagine, in the New Yorker no. or uh, because of your political views, even though I think they should be publishing uh, different voices. But um, how, how does that sort of sustain itself, I guess, is my question. Well, it did until recently. Um, uh, I too am surprised that no newspaper <clears throat> like a New Yorker you mentioned or something like that. Why wouldn't they hire someone who's on the opposite view? I think because they know that it would be effective and the audience would respond to it. And let's not give a platform to people who would undermine what our magazine's all about. So it would be like a Christian magazine hiring an atheist, for example. They just don't do it because we don't want to be made fun of in our own magazine. I think it's um, almost like um, just being on the journalism side of it, I feel like um, they like, like when you pitch something to them, they like to accept because they have a certain space, they like to accept things that they personally like. And so if it's not something that they like that speaks to them that and their biases, um, they don't go for it, even if it's good. Um, versus like kind of looking at it more objectively what you know like okay I don't maybe agree with this but that's really well presented like or it's like a joke maybe that joke is like oh that joke like I don't like what it's saying but it's really funny like we sure. should publish it right like um, it's this it's that approach um, and I've I've ran into this as well um, where you know the story would make sense to publish, but it's questioning something that maybe the editor doesn't want to question. And mm -hmm. there's just no way to to get that sort of thing placed. I mean, they do that with op-eds though. Sometimes they make an effort to like have some diversity in, in some of the magazines or newspapers like the New York, New York Times or um, Atlantic. Um, I think Atlantic Newsweek 
Newsweek does a good job, I think, of, of representing a few different voices. Um, but it's interesting because they don't really do that with cartoons. And there's not that many um, also publications that um, have cartoons, and I imagine. No, and the kind of stuff I do anyway is rather, I always say it's 18 plus mature audiences only. Um, I curse a lot. I draw profane things that I don't think they would even want to publish in a magazine, even though adults only read these things most of the time. Um, there are lines that I cross or want to cross with things that the crowd would want. They All right, so there's crowdfunding. Mm -hmm. Everyone wants to throw, you know, a dollar at a creator for drawing something funny or obscene or I'm trying to think of examples. This is really stupid. I, I got into a fight with leftish people where I had a joke where I was at a Starbucks and I had a trans barista and I said, oh no, it's one of those, I think it was the joke was, it's one of those trans people. I don't know if I should say he or she, so I, what should I do? Oh, I know what I'll do. And so I grabbed their boobs and I said, I'll have one cappuccino sugar tits and I squeezed uh them. And the joke was, I'm an idiot. And that's the worst thing you can do. So the left people were like, oh, he's projecting. This is clearly, he's trying to show his fetish for groping women in, in public or something. And I made the joke worse on purpose by saying, yes, not only do I do that, I have a whole martial art dedicated to grabbing boobs. And now let me draw four comics about just how I grab boobs on the street. And it ended with me getting punched by a boob and anyway, stupid. But I don't imagine the New Yorker would be very interested in a series like that. But Maybe I know not that, that the, one. <laughs> but that's the thing. I know that it's a crowd pleaser. I know that people are screaming, laughing about how stupid and how everyone's reacting to not only is he uh, a sexual assaulter, but now he's laughing at us for laughing at him. And they're they're taking it so seriously. And I'm I am very tickled by their re reactions. And my readers who know my sense of humor are also tickled. So there's a weird part to answer your earlier question, I'm sorry. The business side of this is what you could just call, you know, getting the applause or something like that. Of mm -hmm. The audience knows they're in on the joke. It, the same with the 9-11 truck. The people who read my stuff, they know I'm being stupid on purpose. And it's just when you're scrolling through Twitter and you're on the toilet or something in the morning. I'm sorry for using so much toilet humor, but that's what people do. I'm scrolling and then, aha, that was really funny. And you get a laugh. And that that is the modern newspaper for a lot of people. Instead of reading the New York Times, I read Twitter. So in some ways I am a political cartoonist that you would find in the newspaper. It's just that Twitter is the modern newspaper. Um, so my challenge is I'm not going through agents or a syndicate like, say, Charles Schultz used to back in the day. Uh, it's just me, and then I have to monetize any way I can. So I used to use Patreon until yesterday. Uh, and then I sell my books, you know, collecting my strips. Sometimes people buy those. So it's it's kind of a frontier I'm a guy with a wagon going from town to town saying, hey, do you want to read this comic? Please give me a dollar if you like it, you know, something like that. That's, that's like the a typical current artist. business model. <laughs> yeah, the, the starving artist, but not necessarily. Like I've been offered jobs, but I don't, I don't know if I want to put myself under an editor, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. I want my readers to be my editor they will tell me if I'm over the line or if they want more of something. And if I agree with them, I'll do more or I'll stop. Um, I don't want the gatekeeping necessarily. <clears throat> I wouldn't call it censorship, but an editor's job is to serve the investors slash CEO slash publisher of the magazine, not to serve the audience necessarily. It, that That's kind of side by side, but it, it really, you're ultimately accountable to your employers. So I would love them from my employers to be my readers. And unfortunately, the left doesn't play fair all the time, where now they have forcibly separated me from receiving money from my readers. 
my readers want to give me money, but I have to find a way to receive that money. So that's a stupid problem to solve another time. Well, okay, so this is something that I'm 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 interested in hearing about because it sounds like you've alluded to both Patreon and PayPal, and I'm hearing more and more about this situation where um, there is some issue with um, you know um, uh, people basically being cut off from these services sometimes even with their money being frozen or taken away uh, because of their terms of service um, often unexplained um, and uh, is that what you're experiencing right now um, I'm gonna say yes but I don't know if they have pointed, I'm still under review at Patreon. I'm sure they're gonna find some excuse. They're looking through my library to say like, oh, he drew some blood over here, or he made fun of this type of person too many times, or they're gonna find something. They've, I've been on the radar of these people for far too long. Um, so it's gonna be because of that. Um, what was the question initially? Well, um, it's kind of, it's, it's, it's interesting because we have this sort of, um, this idea of like, you know, um, free speech, at least in the US you do, I'm, you know, in Canada, it's a little more restrictive, okay. but, uh, but in the US you have this idea of, of free speech and, uh, and yet because of the systems that you have, uh, you know, the banking system, the, um, all the technology, you know, um, there is, there seems to be this, this con concentrated effort also to take away cash, but even, you know, it's very hard to just sort of transmit cash anyways at, at mass scale. So all of these tech, tech companies um, have sort of decided that, you know, they're going to have these terms and they, they, they can cut you off at any point. And yeah. so people, you know, can't really use their speech so freely uh, or they lose their livelihood. Yeah, it's a soft, in the old days, let's say the Machiavellian days, they would just send an assassin to go and stab mm -hmm. you. And it's like, he will not be a problem anymore, you know. <laughs> but nowadays, there's a softer form of assassination, I guess you could, I'm being a little hyperbolic, but not too far. Yeah. Um, we're gonna, yeah, we're gonna cut off their finances, we're gonna kick them off the platform before Elon took uh, Twitter over, let's say, but it could still happen under Elon. So I'm holding my breath. Um, yeah, there are ways where they can make you vanish, where they don't have to necessarily do anything to you, except I would assume that there's uh, bottlenecks, I guess you could say, in all of these companies, like say a Twitter or something, it's just been revealed. There's all kinds of like creepy hiring going on and stuff. It's like, you only need a couple people in key positions to really if you want to squeeze a person like, oh, he's saying things that are against the vaccine, let's say, well, let's shut him up. Uh, let's make it so that uh, look at what happened to the MyPillow guy, for example, uh, here in the States where they they financially almost ruined him because he was such a loud Trump supporter or something. They didn't have to do anything to him except cut off his money. So now he has no incentive. Well, he still can spout out whatever he wants, but it's harder for his customers now to keep watering that plant, let's say. Um, whereas let's say there was that FTX scandal and they'll steal tons of money and then feed their side of the corporate, not corporate, the political machine. I'm getting into too many rabbit trails, I suppose. But mm -hmm. the, the point is, let's choke our opposition off from their resources. In the same way, if you want to take over a city, you just surround the city in the old days and then prevent water and food from coming in. And eventually everybody inside will just die of starvation. Right. So you didn't have to lift your hand at all. You didn't have to swing a single sword. You just choke them out. So that's essentially what's happening. It's like a humane way of making your opponent shut themselves up. Um, and if that have, doesn't have work, you felt can... that that was affecting you, uh, knowing that all these things were going on, that there was so much there. I mean, we know there was concentrated censorship that these big tech companies were, especially when it came to COVID. And, and uh, I mean, it's still sort of going on. Um, 
in, in many spaces. Um, so did that ever make you sort of pause when you were putting together your, your work? Uh, it made me try to think of smarter jokes, I would say. Um, mm -hmm. There are ways to, you have to make your opponents laugh. I think that's the ultimate challenge of a comedian where even if I poke fun of someone's, you know, he's wearing a silly hat, I don't want to hurt his feelings necessarily, but I want to say you're wearing a silly hat. Um, I did a whole bunch of strips about the COVID vaccines and all kinds of, you know, would have pissed off a lot of people, but I think I tried to mask them. The whole point was I want to make you laugh, A, but also I have an opinion about this and I want to get it out. Um, did it stop me from making certain jokes? I have stopped myself because I didn't want to hit somebody who I think didn't deserve it. Let's say um, I don't want to actually be cruel. So I've stopped myself for those reasons. Yeah. Um, but if I think uh, the butt of a joke needs to be made fun of, I will swing as hard as I can. Um, yeah, the only times I've stopped myself was if I thought a joke was rude or might have hurt someone that is a friend or something like that. Uh, it kind of reminds me of um, in the Soviet Union, you know, a lot of artists who were, um, you know, there wasn't that much you could say that was political. Um, but they had to be very subversive so that that actually caused a lot more creativity in a way because you had to be so subversive in how you spoke about things. Yeah, and chances are they could still read between the lines and punish you anyways. Yeah, they could send you to the gloves. <laughs> it's, it's hard. I mean, we are not playing a fair game. That's a fact. Um, anyone on the right would testify like it's harder for us to find work. I think my name now is poisonous, so poisonous that I can't find any work in any entertainment industry. Like eventually someone would look up my name and not hire me. I think it's impossible. There are people in the middle and on the right who might hire me, uh, which is fine. But uh, there is an uneven playing field, which perhaps some people would argue I deserve or my type of person deserves because I've been doing it to everybody else for my whole life, apparently. So they just want an excuse to make the playing field unfair so that it benefits their team. Um, as far as if it affects the content I produce, um, I, I try to focus on ideas instead of people, except when a person is necessary for the joke. Like for instance, I don't know if you can even publish me saying like, I don't like Trudeau, for example. Mm. And I make fun of him all the time, not all the time, but enough. Right. And uh, yeah, so he is necessary for the joke to work, but otherwise I'll try to use a character that is, um, not a straw man, like a, like a sock puppet. Uh, if I want to make someone who has blue hair, the implication is they are left-leaning. I thought I, dyeing my hair um, <laughs> blue one time. Actually, I have a picture. I posted one time, I have a wig that's blue. And I was wondering if people would think that I'm like uh, one of those people. <laughs> Well, only on the surface. There's nothing wrong with having cool hair. I think like, it's cool. Like, yeah, it's fine. But then but there's. The I think there's an automated judgment. You like you see someone with blue or pink hair, and you're yeah. like automatically wonder if they're. Uh, I think you make assumptions, and I think it's sort of almost like like I I get it, but I also think it's a little bit of a dangerous thing. Like I get a lot of. Uh, I noticed on Twitter people attack me a lot of times when I post something um, because they make assumptions about me based on the fact, um, well, they look at my bio and they're like, well, she's a journalist for all these like left-leaning publications. She must be this horrible person. And, and they don't bother kind of looking beyond that. They don't look at what I say. They just kind of look at an identity. 
and then they attack, but they don't even attack me on my own words. They sort of attack into their own readings of them. And I think that's kind of a, a dangerous thing because people don't give a very um, generous reading of each other, like, or, or even a surface level reading, right? They read into, they read into extra things, um, poor intentions. And I think that's not a great healthy thing for society either. And you see that, you know, with every, with everyone right now. And, um, and it's too bad, but I also, I've, when I've encouraged people to sort of, hey, maybe, listen, this is my intention with this. This is what I actually meant. And I've also had people sort of go back and say, you know what, I'm, I, you're right. I jumped the gun and I'm, I apologize. I owe you an apology. Mm-hmm. People are able to also do that, um, which is nice. I, I don't think they want that, but there's that jerk reaction. Yeah, I mean, when you're meeting someone in real life, even you have a few microseconds and you're trying to read things like their body language, how they present themselves uh, to even try to, is this person safe? Maybe this is such an ancient circuit in the brain of like, should I trust this person who's coming at me? If I'm on the street in New York back in the day, someone comes up to me and starts talking to me. My first instinct is get away from me. Don't talk to me you're going to try to rob me or something like that. Right. And online, we have even less information to determine is this person safe to interact with. So I'll look at their profile picture or how many followers they have. And if they have, if they have like 10 followers and it's a new account, I assume it's a troll. So I ignore them, let's say. Um, if it's somebody right. with 100,000 and they're blasting me, I say, oh, this might be something I need to pay attention to. Mm-hmm. Um, so... I guess it's an ancient human brain circuit that says, should I talk to this person? Are they friendly? Are they hostile? And generally it's a self-defense mechanism to be like porcupine-ish, get away from me. Here's some spikes, watch out. Don't come too close. So- I think you're right. I think that's exactly what it feels like, yeah. But maybe that's what's causing so much of the fighting, especially with the COVID BS. I won't curse. Um, A lot of people are afraid of being near each other or talking to each other. Don't come too close. You're going to get me sick. Your your germs are going to get me. And that causes distance, causes people to fortify and draw barriers and say, get away from me. And the only thing that will cause uh, reconciliation is to interact. Like uh, if someone's arguing with me online, maybe the best thing to do is have coffee together. And if it's someone who's worth talking to, it's like, look, I'm not going to hurt you. You're not going to hurt me. Let's just have some coffee and work it out. And then the fight's over. I think 90% of these fights would not happen. Right. If not even 90, maybe even 99%, they would not happen in in real life. Yeah. So I don't, I don't put too much weight into the fights that I see on Twitter because no one would have the guts to say most of that stuff in front of you in person and they would have no reason to anyway so people will light me up often enough and it's like i know if we were in person there's no way in hell you would say any of that to me because all we have to do is look at each other's like body language or there's there's all kinds of micro communications like if i didn't have my camera right now and you just heard my voice you have even less to go on from my intent so i can say something that sounds like a joke whereas if i said it in text you couldn't hear the inflection in my voice you couldn't see my body language if i did this if mm-hmm. i said i'm black that's why people drive me crazy with their whole like oh masks that's not a big deal having to wear a mask. Um, it doesn't take anything away. I'm like, of course it does. You know, you There's micro still believe in your, if you want to believe in that mask, do good things, whatever, you feel free. But but you can't gaslight people into say, and by saying that it doesn't take away um, communication because you have a, a huge amount of nonverbal communication that it is taken away robbed of your your toolkit and 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 part of our humanity 
there's so much that happens that that you know that there's people who are who, who don't even talk right and <laughs> with words but there's so much that goes on with the face uh, so this is kind of ridiculous and we used to have silent movies you know so that's kind yeah. of says it all and it's kind of like yeah oh, go ahead. no no it's like with dogs if you see like they're hanging out and they're near each other and they're sniffing and then suddenly one barks and the other barks okay, yeah. it's like we're trying to read each other and we only have so many vectors of is this person friendly? Are they smiling at me? Are they looking at me weird? And How many people fall in love across the room? At least in movies, they do. I don't know if that actually happens in real life, but maybe. it can happen in real life, at least infatuation. But I mean, um, infatuation, yes. Sure. And then you talk to the person and they're a total, you know, know. goober. Right, and... lady, city. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. So it's it's funny. I mean, but yeah, there is micro expressions, especially, dare I say, with like women and children, they say like the motherly instinct with kids, if kids can't talk. So all they have to do is stare at the mother's face all the time. And they're trying to learn what it is to emote and how to get what they want. And just the tiniest, like even an eyebrow raising, like I, I've, I'm Greek, so I have a million kids in my family. Mm -hmm. And um, the way that like, all you have to do is stare at them in the face, they'll stare at you in the eyes. And then like, I'll raise my eyebrows a little bit like this and they'll laugh or something. And it's just, all I did was raise my eyebrow. And, uh, but humans are programmed to communicate through even micro expressions. So if I see text on a screen, you're maybe seeing 20% of what I'm trying to communicate to you. And that's especially true as me as a comic artist, let's say, I use words and pictures. So now maybe 50% of what I'm trying to say is coming through based on what colors I choose or the camera angle, as well as the words. Yeah, so a tweet is the same thing as a comic. Right, well, people used to get very mad at me because I have a pretty deadpan kind of humor. And I okay. would, and part of why they would get mad at me is because I was kind of, I was so deadpan and I didn't allow, you know, any expression. And then I learned because I didn't want to hurt people's feelings. So I learned to express with my face that, hey, it's a joke. So I would smile, right, to let them in on the yeah. fact that it's a joke. And so now that's completely gone when you cover your face. So again, it is it is part. By the way, I was going to confess to you that I am somewhat of an artist, um, oh. but it, very specialized, very, very specialized art. It is called um, napkin art. I pioneered the this um, tradition. It's uh, so napkin art is a very fine tradition of art. Um, I go to restaurants and against anybody's requests or uh, consent, I draw on the napkins. I uh, draw these very creepy looking characters with long kind of snack snake necks, I guess. I don't know, for some reason, they, they're just long necks with like stripes um, that people now call snake necks. Um, and, uh, and then I autograph it. Um, for some reason, they always end up in the garbage. Although I'd like to think that somebody collects them as in their private collection, you know, and they're very thought after, but they might just end up in the garbage if we're truly honest with each other and we we are um truth truth tellers um you should post pictures on your uh twitter and stuff i probably should you know i should start photographing them and like this is one of you know this is number one this is number 500. Yeah, you should be a political cartoonist too it's not <laughs> anyone can do it i i don't know if anyone can do it well you know um well. i think Political cartoon, I mean, that takes something. I did, I did, I was in a comic book club um, in, in high school, I, I, as I recall. I, I did this like the adventures, I did this comic strip about the adventures of a cat and a dog. It was very, very wholesome though. <laughs> There's no politics in sight. Um, That's fine. Yeah. I actually admire, uh, let's say less artists who take it less seriously, perhaps. They have they don't have the kind of filters or nagging, like I have to do it a certain quality of, I have to yeah, do there's it there's no quality. But, oh. but that frees them to just have fun with it. And I, I, I envy that, I wish I could do that. So don't 
don't uh, dismiss your own stuff too quickly. You should post it just for fun. Well, there's a lot of bed art to get done and somebody has to do it, so. That's one way to put it. Yes, I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm stealing it from someone I, I once interviewed, but hey, if you're gonna steal, steal from the best. Any any final words about, you know, any any thoughts for the future? Oh, I don't know. Uh, try not to take things too seriously, I suppose. Even my stuff, which has been called many names, and it's just a drawing. It's not going to really hurt anybody, at least I don't think so. Uh, then again, these people say words are violence. Um, honestly, just I'm going to try to draw more stuff, and I want to make people smile, and I want to try to make the world a slightly better place, a goofier place. So I ask for everyone's patience. And if I screw up, maybe I'll do better next time. Just try to be nice about it. I That's like all that. I can say, I guess. I like that. Well, thank you so much. I really enjoyed talking to you. Thank you. Let's do it again. Let's do it again. And I love your, and I love your work. Thank you. Thank you so much.